Good morning, Oak Hills. Happy New Year. Feliz Año Nuevo. We have a special treat this morning. Our special guest speaker is Paul Gibbs. Paul is the founder and the global director of the PACE Project. The PACE Project is serving in more than seven different nations, reaching out to students and partnering with churches to disciple their young uh, people, their youth groups. Paul uh, is here with us this morning uh, as part of the PACE Project, and he is also uh, coordinating with the PACE Project that here at Oak Hills, we have more than five PACE groups that are working uh, with our Oak Hills Church family. Paul is a missionary maker and an author. He has served for more than 20 years in youth ministry, both here in the United States and in the United, in the United Kingdom. Uh, Paul is uh, a frequent speaker at colleges and universities. He has prepared uh, courses for for these locations and is a frequent speaker as well in churches and in seminaries. He lives in Arlington, uh, Texas with his wife Lynn and their two sons, Joel and Levi. You are in for a treat this morning as he presents to us pictures, the true picture of Jesus. Good morning and a happy new year. Um, we're really excited about our partnership with Oak Hills Church. We're excited about what God is doing in San Antonio. And uh, we have more of our missionaries here than anywhere else in the world. Um, so I'm excited about this morning. You probably realize by now I'm not from Texas. Um, that's right. I'm from Louisiana. Okay, no, I'm from uh, Manchester, England. If you're wondering why I'm speaking, what language, this is English. Okay, just so you understand. Um, I am kind of slightly nervous sometimes about speaking uh, in America because when I first came and went to the first restaurant, uh, my waitress struggled so much with my accent she asked me my order four times and the fourth time she asked me in Spanish. So, <laughs> it's true. So I'm hoping even if you only get about 90% of what I say, I hope it's really effective and I hope and I pray in some way impacts and helps you this morning. And the same for this year. Uh, my hope is that we don't miss what God has for us this morning or for this year. And with that in mind, I'm going to speak from uh, Mark chapter 10. So if you can find in your Bibles Mark chapter 10, that would be wonderful. As you're doing that, um, because we've just had Christmas, there's a verse that's often read in kind of carol services that confuses me. I'm going to read that as a, as a kind of introduction, if you like. It's from John 1, 9 to 11. It says this. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Even though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. I find that odd because I know exactly what Jesus looked like. I'm going to show you a picture. Would you like to see a picture of Jesus? Okay, this is a picture of Jesus. This is Jesus. He has blonde hair and he has blue eyes and he's English. <laughs> he's called Robert Powell and he played Jesus in a particular film. And I know you're thinking, wow, an English Jesus, it doesn't get better than that, but it does. He's from Manchester. <laughs> so, no, he's, he's a Manchester Jesus, the perfect kind of Jesus, really. Now, there are fake Jesuses around, like the American Jesus. 
Well, that's like seeing the, oh, it's already there. The picture, this is a picture of American Jesus. His name is Jimmy, and he played Jesus in The Passion of Christ. Now, you can see what they've done here. They've gone for a more kind of Jewish-looking Jesus, but he's still quite looking, uh, sorry, quite good-looking, isn't he? Who thinks he's good-looking? You fancy Jesus. <laughs> so this is, this is the, uh, and now there's the African Jesus. We'd like to see the African Jesus. Okay, this is the African Jesus. He's still kind of good looking, isn't he? And um, what about the Indian Jesus? Would you like to see the Indian Jesus? Yeah? This is the Indian. Don't laugh at Jesus. Now, he, in my mind, he's also the kind of slightly scary alien looking Jesus as well. There's something kind of weird about that picture. Jesus, it's interesting. We like to present him a certain way that we can understand. We like to present Jesus to others in the way that we think they can easily accept him. Now, Jesus came from a real place. This is a picture of Nazareth. Nazareth uh, is a real place, and the BBC and the Discovery Channel a long time ago decided that they would try and find out what the real Jesus may have looked like. So they took hair from people in that kind of area. They dug up some schools, and they did all those fancy computer things to generate a picture. Now, I'm going to show you, but before I do, be careful, because if you imagine when you worship a blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, you may want to turn away now. I could ruin your worship for the rest of the year. So are you sure you want to see this? Okay, this is more than likely the kind of facial structure the real Jesus had. Ooh. It looks a bit like Shrek, <laughs> apparently. I, I look at that picture and I think Jesus is more likely to mug me than save me when I look at that picture. It's scary, isn't it? Here's, here's a thought I want to suggest this morning. One of the reasons we might miss Jesus' move and God's move in our lives is not because we don't know what he looks like, but because we've already decided in advance what he looks like. As Jesus seeks to move in us and through us this year, one of the dangers we're in is we don't see his move because we know what a move of God looks like. And it looks like this. And while we're waiting for this to happen, sometimes God is doing this. And we don't see it and we don't invest in it because we're expecting it to look like this. What if when God really moves in America, what happens if it doesn't happen in a church building like this? What happens if it, it happens in your community, in your neighborhood, in, in your local park or in your local school? It's important we see Jesus for who he really is. So that when he moves, we can invest in what he's doing in our lives. So this morning, I'd like to talk about three important things to do with vision. And I'd like to talk to you in order of importance, starting with the third most important thing about Jesus. And that is that we need a bigger vision. We just need a bigger vision vision because vision changes us and sometimes we have to realize to see God we have to realize we're blind in the first place to explain that I want to read from Mark chapter 10 this is a story of Bartimaeus you may be familiar with this story it's in Mark chapter 10 starting at verse 46 then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now there's a few things I find odd about this story. The first thing is that Bartimaeus shouts out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Which is a little bit odd because he was the son of Joseph. So why, why would Bartimaeus shout, Son of David? It's because the Son of David was a title of the Messiah, of the Savior. And here's a blind man who can see something that others can't. He could see that this was the Savior, this was the Messiah, this was Jesus. And the reason that so many others missed Jesus was because they'd already decided what it would look like when the Messiah came. You had the zealots who were kind of like looking for, and I'm simplifying here, a militaristic kind of hero. And Jesus turns up and he does all these miracles. And I mean, imagine that. Imagine a general who, when the army gets sick, can like heal them. Or when they die, they can raise them to dead. I mean, raise them from the dead. And they must be pretty excited. But then he, they hear him say things like, well, when a Roman soldier asks you to carry his backpack for a mile, carry it an extra mile. Well, that's not the story. That's not the words of revolution. It's like how be the Messiah. All the Pharisees, the Pharisees believed, well, you know what? Um, we, just need, we just need Israel to be holy. And if it's holy, then God will send us a rescuer. So we need to make sure there's no sin in Israel or no sinners in Israel. Jesus speaks about purity. They must have got so excited. And then one day they, they see him sitting with the sinners, the tax collectors and the, and the prostitutes. Now today it might be pedophiles. Who knows? And we would think, and they thought, well, he can't be the Messiah. You had the Essenes. These were basically, in my mind, they were like the hippies of Jesus' time, you know? They were like, you know, uh, you know Jerusalem is a terrible place. We're just going to build our own communities, our own schools, our own everything, and live in our holy huddle. And then when the Messiah comes, he realized we're the sons of light. We're, we're the true people of God. But then there's Jesus getting involved with the people on the streets in Jerusalem. Well, he can't be. Vision changes us. It helps us see God, but it changes who we are as well. I work primarily now with young people and training young people to go into schools, which is odd because when I was at school, I wasn't really like the cool kid of my class. I was like the geek of my class. I was the only Christian in my, um, in my class group. And uh, we had a game in my school called Crucify the Christian. And when the teachers turned up late, they would literally pal me, put me under all the tables and chairs in the school uh, classroom, or they would hang me from the ceiling. You know, I have a slight speech impediment. I can slur my words. You just think I'm English, okay? But actually, I have a slight speech impediment. Um, and my mum and dad sent me to school when I was six years old uh, for elocution, movements, and dance lessons. It was me, I guess, and a load of little girls in ballerinas. But I was expelled at the age of six from my first school for biting the girls. So you wouldn't expect somebody with a little bit of a speech impediment who's not really the cool kid. But when, when we see who we are, through God's eyes, it changes who we are. 
It really does. Vision, vision helps us in so many different ways, a bigger vision. Um, I like to surf. I love skiing and surfing and that kind of thing. And, and a while back, I was planning a surf trip, and I, I realized I needed to get a little bit fitter. So I went to the gym, and, and the, the kind of thing I used to do was a 15-minute hill run. And we had all these different TVs in front of us. And it was normally Oprah Winfrey, and it was some, somebody who was, used to be called Frida, but now was called Jeff and was about to meet a long-lost son or daughter and was having a makeover. It, was that kind of, it wasn't very interesting. And I would set this thing 15 minutes hill run, and I'd be running, and after about four minutes, I'm like, Jesus, please come back. Anything than this, you know, it would kill me. And I remember one day, I'm in there, and on one of the TV screens was the surfer in Indonesia. So after about four minutes, I took all the wires out and unplugged myself, ran over, 15 minutes, put my headphones on, and I'm, I'm running, and I really enjoyed it. I got so invested in it, and this is true, that when the, when the surf went left, I went left and fell off the machine. So I got back up again, got back on 15 minutes, and I'm running, I'm really enjoying this whole story, and then suddenly my machine broke. And he went, stop, and I went, oh no, what's wrong? And, and I looked and realized it, it was flashing 15 minutes. I'd done the run, I just hadn't noticed. That's what vision does. Without vision, we notice the pain. When we lose vision, we notice the discipline that's required to see Jesus move in our lives sometimes. Vision's important. We need a bigger vision. Um, I remember watching an interviewer of a Formula One uh, race car driver. Formula One's like NASCAR, but you turn left and right. And um, we had, uh, I'm going to show a picture of a Formula One race car. And um, this guy was asked the question, how do you not hit the curb when you're turning around a corner at 200 miles an hour. And he said this, you never ever look at the curb. If you want to avoid the curb, don't look at it. Imagine the perfect racing line. If you look at the curb, you'll hit it. I thought that's so true. Sometimes we're, we're so focused on the things we're trying to avoid, we either hit them or we do what the Pharisees do, I thought, which is sometimes we avoid them so much we hit the opposite curb. And what they did was they hit legalism. What we need to do is imagine that perfect driving line. Working with young people, I realized that you can tell young people to, you're blue in the face, don't do drugs, don't do this, don't do the other. But the real way of helping young people is to paint them a picture through our lives of who Jesus is and who they can be in him. A picture of the kingdom of God. A picture of the kingdom of heaven. Proverbs says this, Without vision, we throw off restraint. Without vision, we throw off self-discipline. If you're struggling this year, you know, this whole thing about turn another leaf, I would encourage you not to worry about that. Seriously, if you just concentrate, I mustn't do this, I mustn't do that, the key is ask God for a bigger vision. Because when you get a bigger vision, some of these things that we hold so valuable, that we're so obsessed with, they just fall away. That's the third most important thing about vision. The second most important thing about vision is this. We need a vision from God. But where does that come from? You know, Bartimaeus was a beggar, which means he got scraps that everybody else dropped. Well, we hear great preaching. I know you hear great preaching from Randy and from Max every week. But you can't live off their scraps, can you? You need to own the word of God yourself. You need to own that vision of Jesus yourself. But where does that come from? Uh, I became a Christian when I was 14 years old. And uh, I was reached through a, a Pentecostal church. I grew up uh, spiritually in a Pentecostal church, which I absolutely loved. Uh, I am 
a Pentecostal. Boo. So <laughs> what happened was that in my mind, what would happen is that I would, I, I, I kind of, this was never said or inferred, but for some reason I got this in my mind, that vision came if you were very spiritual. If you were really spiritual, the more dramatic it would be. You know, you'd walk down the road, really holding, and suddenly vision would appear, kind of like big bold letters. This is what you should do, Paul. Here's what I found. The key is in this passage. Bartimaeus is blind. Jesus goes up to Bartimaeus, and then he says, what can I do for you? How do you want me to help you? He asks a question, which is odd. You'd think it was obvious. So why did he ask a question? It's said by some scholars that Jesus asked 300 questions in his ministry and gave a straight answer to about three. It's sometimes suggested that Jesus asked about 125 questions in his ministry and a large percentage of them were in response to a question he was asked. So we use Q&A, he used Q&Q. You would ask a question, he would reply with a question. Why? There's a story of a lady who was in Jerusalem who'd been taught this principle and she went into a shop full of photography and asked the Jew who was selling the photography which was his favorite photo. And he asked her, are you married? Which seems a little bit odd. And she said yes, which would have ended the conversation. But then she said, why? And he said, do you have children? Yes, three. Why? And he said, which one's your favorite? Suddenly she got an answer, didn't she? But it wasn't simply his answer, it was an answer that she got. It was her answer. She understood the principle of what he was talking about. I believe true vision comes from a conversation of awkward questions with God. Something gets your attention and you ask him an awkward question. And then he asks you one back. And as long as you keep the conversation going... The vision keeps flowing. But the minute the conversation stops because you don't want to ask that question or face that question or you don't want to be asked that question, then conversation stops. For me, my, my awkward conversation with God a long time ago, which is where pays came from, is God, why is it that even though we're following you, we put most pressure on our churches to spend most of their money on looking after us? When really that's not what it's about. Why do we spend so much on the young people within our four walls when there are thousands that in the schools somebody else has paid for the fuel, somebody else has paid for heating and lighting and organize them in nice little groups? Why don't we help those schools? It would be more simple, straightforward, make more sense. That was my awkward conversation with God. Here's the thing. One of the problems we have is, is the Bible stories. We think that vision comes through drama. We think about Moses. The burning bush wasn't Moses' vision. The burning bush got his attention. And then there was an awkward conversation. You think about Saul on the road to Damascus. There was a blinding light. It didn't give him vision. It took it away. Well, then there was an awkward conversation. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I wanted to ask you this morning, what is the thing that's getting your attention? And what is your awkward question? God's not afraid of awkward questions. He wants them. He wants that conversation with you. And I would encourage you, the second most important thing about vision is having a conversation of awkward questions. Because we get a vision that's from God, not simply our own dreams to believe in. 
What's the most important thing about vision? Well, I would suggest this. The most important thing about vision is we don't just need a bigger vision or a bigger vision even from God. We need a bigger vision of God. We don't need vision of vision. Some of us have that. We have a vision of vision. We're excited about a project or a ministry or an idea. And while that's going well, we're self-disciplined. Well, things go well. Sometimes things go badly. But God's always the same. Now, when I first came to America, um, uh, one guy said, I'd like to take you to a youth ministry to see like, what God can do in America. So I said, that's great. Please show me. So he showed me. He took me to this place. I'm going to show you a picture. This is a ministry uh, further north from here. And I looked at that building and thought, wow, it's bigger than England. And he said, we'd like to see the snack shop. I said, yes, please. He showed me the snack shop. And I thought, I could live in that place. And as you walk in, there's a gorgeous reception area. There's a, a big auditorium for 1,200 young people. There's iPods and there's all sorts of wonderful things. And in the middle of the reception area and the snack shop is this. Basketball court. I thought, oh my goodness, the faith of American Christians. I'm not really into buildings. I'm thinking, okay, 1,200 people, that's great. We can walk into a school tomorrow and see that many. It doesn't cost us millions to build a building. But I'm thinking, the faith of American Christians, that's amazing. You show those pictures in England, and guess what people say? Only in America. Only in America. I thought, wait until I tell some American pastors about schools ministry. They're going to flip their lid. And they explain to me, you know, for a small amount of money, we can put full-time people in the community, in the schools. They're going to freak out. It's going to be wonderful. And I met with this group of pastors, and I told them, and guess what they said to me? Only in England. <laughs> Only in England. I found one youth pastor, a guy called Tony Puckett, one man who said, you know what, I, I think the God's is the God of the impossible everywhere, not just in one place. You know what the pagans believed? The pagans believed this, simplistically. They basically believed there were gods, little gods of territories. So there was a God of this hill, and there was a God of this hill. And sometimes they'd go to war to find out who had the biggest God. Well, we know that's ridiculous. Well, do we? The fact is, God is either the God of the impossible, or he's not. If you've experienced God, as I have, moving your life in past years in a particular area, you can't cut and paste. You can't say, well, is, is the God of the miraculous in my physical body, but we can't do a, a, a miracle in my emotional well-being. Well, he's the, God of, he's the God of the miracle in finances, but not in forgiveness. If God is God, he's God. And he's the God of the impossible everywhere. And I'm so excited because I know that Oak Hills Church isn't painting a picture of Jesus that's so, so specific that God can't move. I know this is a church that isn't simply about buildings, but it's about seeing God move in the community. And that thrills me so much. I want to finish with one last thought. It's not my thought. It's a thought of a great writer. His name's A.W. Tozer. And he said something which I think is really profound. He said this. He said, whatever drops into your mind when you think about God is singularly the most important thing about you. And he gave this reason. He said, if you're believing in God, whatever you see of God is eventually who you will be to other people. 
Well, think about that for a moment. Whoever you see God as, eventually over a period of time, you'll, you'll be that to other people. You think about the Pharisees. They believed in a kind of judgmental God, and they judged other people. I think, I think that's true. And then I thought, if that's true, maybe the inverse is true. Maybe the way I treat other people tells me what I really think about God and who he is. And that frightened me, to be honest. And I realized I need a, a better picture of Jesus. So I want to encourage you uh, this morning as you're thinking about this year, that God has incredible plans to help us and to move through us and to use us. Uh, and you might be like me. You might consider yourself a little bit of a geek. Uh, but if we see ourselves through God's eyes, it's incredible what he can do. I mean, it's stunning, really, to be honest with you. But only if we don't decide in advance what a move of God actually looks like. Maybe God's already doing something in your life. Maybe at the beginning of this year, you came in this morning, you already had a question. You already had something that was kind of just, it was getting your attention. And you had a question for God. Can I encourage you over this year, if you want to keep seeing God's fresh vision, keep in that awkward conversation with God. You might not even believe in God this morning. Tell him. I know it sounds weird, but tell him. See what happens. Ask him questions. I don't believe God is afraid of your questions. I don't believe God's afraid, period. He's not insecure. He can cope with anything. Because my God, not about yours, but my God's massive. He's huge. And so is yours. So I, ho I hope those thoughts, even though you might have only understood 70% of the words I said, I hope they're helpful. And I'd love to pray for you this morning as we think about that. So can we close our eyes and pray together? Lord, I thank you for this church that is a church that is seeing a God who lives outside of a, a box. He's not an English Jesus or a, an American Jesus, but he's Jesus. And I pray right now you would help us, uh, each and every one of us this year, to allow you to move in our lives and not decide in advance what you would look like when you do that. Help us, we pray, to say, Son of David, acknowledge you, and ask you to have mercy on us. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen.